encountering the texture of the text of God's Word, text and context. In charge of the table this morning, so we got some goodies out there, helping with the church buffet. Uh, who was I talking to? I, t- I told somebody the other day, I said, if I don't show up, they'll come up with something. Somebody will do something. But if the food doesn't show up, people just won't show up. Like, so. Are we good? What happened? I don't think he likes the yogurt. <laughs> then again, it may not even be that he doesn't like it. It may just be that... Uh, okay. We were in a rush this morning. I'm eating these while I'm talking. Uh, okay, so we're in chapter 8 of Mark. Moving right along, we're at a section that I very much love, a very important section. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week. begins with the curing of the blind man, and it's the double healing, where they have to, Jesus has to heal him twice. He has a divine power outage of some sort of variety. So uh, I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to eat these while you stew over it and comment on it. Uh, verse 22. Sure. Uh, 822 through 26. Okay. Sure. That's a great idea. <clears throat> they arrived at Bethsaida. Some people brought a sightless man and begged Jesus to give him a healing touch. Taking him by the hand, he led him out of the village. He put spit in the man's eyes, laid hands on him, and asked, Do you see anything? He looked up. I see men. They look like walking trees. So Jesus laid hands on his eyes again. The man looked hard and realized that he had recovered perfect sight, saw everything in bright 2020 focus. Jesus sent him straight home telling him, don't enter the village. Jesus and his disciples headed out for the villages around Caesarea Philippi. As they walked, he asked, who do the people say I am? Was I supposed to keep on going? No, but that's fine. Um, oh, that's good. We're not going to get mad at you for reading more of God's Word. Okay. So. <laughs> you could have just read to the end of Mark and we all would have just sat here and listened. Mm-mm. Okay. Yeah. We always thought the great physician was like a family practice doctor. We didn't realize he was an optometrist, apparently. Yes. Apparently. I didn't know that was the physician that he went to school for. What'd you say? You get better when you go to your family practice doctor? I do, actually. I have a good family practice doctor. Yeah. So I think it's important to remember they came to Bethsaida. They is including the disciples. The apostles are following with him, Um, they are going outside the village with Jesus. And um, 
They look like trees. The man sees people. He sees the disciples. The disciples are with him. I think this is primarily for the disciples, especially because this ties really closely to what's about to happen with the stuff about who do people say that I am, Elijah, one of the prophets. Those go hand in hand really closely. And really, this is kind of a prophetic sign. You remember the prophets do weird things all the time just to make you go, huh? So Isaiah walks around naked for three years. Ezekiel plays with Legos and builds a model of Jerusalem and then it like uh, plays out the destruction of Jerusalem with his little Lego model. I say it's Legos. It's the ancient equivalent of Legos, but still, which I think that'd be a great way to do a sermon too on Ezekiel is to have like build a little model and just stand up here playing with it and show the destruction of Jerusalem. So maybe I'll do that one day. But uh, again, this is a, it's a prophetic act. So he uh, puts his hands on him, and then he says, well, do you see anything? Which is such a weird question for Jesus to ask, because it's Jesus. Is he checking his work? Well, did it work? I'm a little nervous. Uh, surely not. Surely it's uh, for the purpose, I think, for the purpose of the disciples. The man looks up. I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Um, how does he know what trees look like? He's blind. Yeah, he could have gone blind after a certain point, I guess. But still, but still. Going blind, that's fake. Yeah. Uh, he lays his hands on his eyes a second time, and he looks intently. His sight was restored. I think it's interesting. He lays his hands on his eyes a second time, then he looks intently. Um, I don't know. He wanted to see if, if, if this time he just saw trees walking or if he actually saw people this time, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, surely Jesus isn't going to heal the guy's eyes and then he's just going to sit there and be like, no, I'm good, I'm just going to keep my eyes closed. I'm sure that wouldn't happen, but he heals his eyes so that he can look intently. Or as Rosemary said in the message, 2020 vision. I like that. Um, and then he sends him home and says, don't even go into the village. And then Jesus and his disciples immediately go to the village. Did you catch that? So you don't go to the village, and then they go to the village. Uh, verse 27, he went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And so keep this story in mind um, about seeing but not seeing, which is a theme we've already seen many times. Seeing but not seeing, hearing but not hearing. Um, keep that in mind as we read the stuff about Peter's declaration about Jesus as the Messiah. Because... As I'm about to argue, I don't think Peter really gets it. He gets it, but he doesn't get it. He sees, but he doesn't see. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but what does Peter think that means? Because is it the right confession? Yes, but is it the correct content? I'm going to say no, because I don't think Peter knows what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, because Peter starts to explain to Jesus, look, Jesus, this is what it means to be the Messiah, and then Jesus corrects him. So let's read it. This is in verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Now question, does your Bible have a break between verse 30 and verse 31? What a travesty! This is all part of the same story! Because usually I hear this reading like in church or something and it stops there. And they're like, see, Peter got it. He's the Messiah. Good job, Peter. You got one right. And I'm like, no, he didn't get it right. Keep reading. Because if you keep reading, 
Verse 31, then he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Question, did he say, I might undergo great suffering, be rejected? It's up in the air. It's a possibility. This is one man's opinion. No. It is necessary. I must. This is how it happens. I must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. That phrase is important. Jesus is going to say that again at least three different times with slight variation um, between now and the next healing of the blind man. Um, he said all this quite openly. Finally, because he's been so secretive this whole time. The one time he's open. Okay. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I wonder what he said there, because we're not told what Peter said there. But I imagine it's something to the effect of, look, the Messiah doesn't die. The Messiah kills. The Messiah destroys those stupid Romans and takes back the land for the Jews. You don't die. That's not how this works. What would be the point if you die? If you die, then it's all over. So Peter is explaining to him what it means. I heard a great sermon on this once called The Gospel According to Peter. And uh, it's not the gospel according to Peter. It's the gospel according to Jesus. Jesus gets to define what it means for himself to be the, the Messiah. Verse 33, turning. Oh, go ahead. Peter did have a gospel. He did. It was different. Yeah, it was different. Yeah, it did. And Mark is the gospel according to Peter, according to the church father, Papias, I think. I can never know who that guy is. Is it Papias? Some early church father said that Peter uh, gave Mark all his information for his gospel. Mark was basically sitting at Peter's feet in Rome, listening to his sermons and saying, ooh, that's good. Somebody should write this stuff down. And that's where he got his information. Peter um, always seemed like he was, had a sword on his side ready to fight all the time. Like yes. Cuts off ears. Yes. And, you know, yes. And he just didn't like the idea. Of, no. You know, I don't think any of them liked the idea. It, this isn't what a Messiah, the expectation was, that the Messiah wasn't going to do this. Um, another thing is, um, and we as Christians often obscure this small detail, but it was kind of radical, not kind of, it was extremely radical to think that the Messiah was also going to be God himself. There, there weren't a bunch of expectations for that. I won't say there was no precedent for that, because I think that there are hints of that, but it wasn't just like something that Jews were like, yeah, the Messiah is going to come and he's also going to be God. Like, that wasn't a common thing that they're just shooting the breach. So whenever Jesus is making these claims, he's the Messiah, and he's not going to conquer, he's going to die. Or maybe he's going to conquer by dying. That's a whole other discussion. But uh, then he's also God. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. I mean, it's crazy. Like, we know the answer already. I like to say, often we're reading the Bible, like, whenever you watch a movie and... The people who are watching are given a bit of information that the people in the story don't yet know. And so you're watching and you know things that the people in the story don't yet know. You know what I'm talking about? And so they're still figuring out and you're like, you idiots, it's obvious. And you're like screaming at the TV. But they don't know yet. They're still figuring it out. And a lot of these people are still figuring out. We already know the answers because we've A, read the stories before. B, we're in church. So we kind of assume the right answer. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever wondered why, uh, as you just opened it, uh, they didn't understand what the Messiah and who the Messiah was going to be more uh, explicitly? 
Um, this is kind of a, a learning process. Sure. Oh, yes. And, uh, sometimes we, God, why? You know. Mm. Oh, yeah. Peter's representative of all of us, really. Because we may not have these specific messianic expectations like a lot of them did, but we still have all these cultural narratives about who Jesus is supposed to be and what Jesus is supposed to do. And, my goodness, our Lord just doesn't fit into my boxes very well. He always breaks those. Human nature is to judge people after the fact they should have known. Yeah. You know, and I sometimes I have to think, look, if I was back in that day and I was a Pharisee or, mm-hmm. I was a, you know, I wouldn't get it either. I no. There's no way I could expect that I would get it. I just know the ending, you know. Yes. And, yes, you and do. It's like after a disaster or something, people are like blaming everyone. Oh, I should have known. Yeah, it? It's like, that's why they call it a disaster. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be, eh, you know. Yeah. Happen. That's the way we try to control things. Yeah. Feel like we have it and under we control. We expect others to uh, to miraculously know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, it's funny. You know, people say, "Well, if Jesus was right in front of me, I would get it right." Yeah, right. exactly. So, sure. I'm like, "Well, the Spirit of God is living inside of you," which Jesus said was greater than Him being physically right in front of you. So, what's your excuse now? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And plus, also, Jesus is here. Right. He is here. He is so here. They, they also knew their history. Things happen, and everybody dies. The soldiers die, the slaves die, the people die, everybody dies. And I, they got me thinking this, that the mm. Christ is going to come in here and just completely wipe them out. Yeah. That's been their history forever. Mm. And that's what I, 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 got a, I got a feeling that's what's on their minds, because that's what they've been taught for their whole life. That's mm. how their whole lives have been. It's, it's a... Yeah. A Davidic Messiah... Part of the hope of a Davidic Messiah, someone who comes from the line of David, I think we also forget Messiah is king, anointed as king. Uh, there's one New Testament scholar who likes to say instead of Jesus Christ, he says King Jesus. I like that. I really like that. Uh, king Jesus. He's King Jesus. He's David. He's he's. The hope is maybe he'll be like David. He'll, the kingdom will be once again united and we'll be in charge and we'll be powerful again. Um, and they are, just not the way that they think because... He is king. King of the Jews. Yeah, that's right. But he was more than king of the Jews. He was king of the universe. Yes, which is part of the ascension. He ascends to the throne. Yes, uh, which is good news for us. Yeah. Which is very good news for us. Which means that rather than us twiddling our thumbs and saying, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, I'm like, no, Christ is king. Act like it. Christ is ruling. He's in charge. I mean, evil still is in the world, but... Christ is also king. That's significant. I think that's more significant than the evil. I think that's more headline than, than the evil. You know, talk about not believing. Them. We're, we're 2,000 years later, and there's a lot more evidence now than there was then, and most of the world doesn't believe now. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's a difficult story yeah. to understand. It is. It is. That's what faith does. Yeah. Faith covers that gap. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there were hundreds and hundreds of false messiahs before Jesus and hundreds and hundreds of false messiahs after Jesus. He says this. There will be some coming who say, I am he. Well, 
He says there are some coming who will say, I am he. There have already been several hundred people at this time who have come and said, I am he. And they always follow the same script. They get followers together. They get them all excited. They go to conquer the Romans or they go out in the desert to plan to conquer the Romans. The Romans hear about it. They squash them and kill them and all the disciples flee and that's it. Except one. Who was the one Pharisee that said, just let them alone. If, if they're of God, if they are not of God, they'll fail. Yeah. If they are of God, we don't want to be in acts yeah in acts they're like look if this really is god what are we what are we fighting against it's not going to work out well for us but if it's not it'll just dispense like everything else yeah i do think people are a little bit on the questions of pharisees since they do seem to keep showing up on a fact-finding mission every like five minutes they're like that's fair okay hold on that's fair (laughs) who are you what are you doing here and like just hangs out with them like we do mischaracterize the pharisees at times so a couple of things on that i'd say like a paul was a pharisee and it certainly prepared him for his work that he did because he knew the scriptures. And that's part of what Pharisees did was study the scriptures. And also there were like some Pharisees who followed Jesus. Um, if you had to put Jesus in a category of the ancient world, Pharisee is one that he would fit in pretty closely. Um, there were a lot that I think that were really struggling because it's like there's too many things that are happening that point to him. But it's not what we're expecting. It's not what we're expecting. Yeah, it's not what we yes. Think. And so... I'm sure they got together and said, did you hear what happened that, you know, yeah. another thing, what do we, how do we explain that, yeah. you know? How do we... I think it was Micah last week who said, it's like the disciples were like, look, we know you're the guy, but you're not doing anything we thought the guy would do. <laughs> so you're the guy, you're not doing what but, you're but you're not really making us feel like you're the guy all the time. Yeah. Or what were you going to say? I think almost every generation of the church goes through some part of that. Hmm. Elaborate on that. We just see things that are different, but the more we stop thinking about them, that, that's not what's determined whether Christians or not. Mm. No. It's, mm. it's not good judges. <laughs> you know, Scripture, that's interesting. Scripture sets the pace for showing that God's people, of all the people, should be on the right side of history, but so often are not because they can be so stubborn. <laughs> Um, like you, like you should have recognized that was the Messiah, but you didn't. We should have stood up against certain injustices, but didn't. That's interesting. And the Old Testament of all is extremely brutally honest. One of the many reasons we need our First Testament is its brutal honesty. Um, do we already read the thing where he says, "Get behind me, Satan," or did we read that yet? Or did we just talk about him rebuking Peter? Um. <laughs> Verse 33, turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. I love that little detail. Turning and looking at his disciples. Um, Don't, like, there's consequence to what we say. Um, Whoever says ideas are not dangerous has never worked with ideas or middle schoolers, especially the latter. Right? Ideas are dangerous because we live by our ideas. And that's actually a really important key part of us, which is why I get nervous at times whenever, like, we hear things like, we don't need doctrine and theology. Let's just get out there and do stuff. And I'm like, yes, 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 that's great. Let's do stuff. Let's do stuff. But slow down. We do need doctrine. We do need theology. That's important because as Christians, we believe that what we believe affects what we do. I think it does. Um, and good belief should lead to good practice. And if it doesn't, then that means that as well articulated as your theology might be, it's, it's maybe got some flaws in it still because Jesus says, by their fruit, you'll know them. So I think that's a good opportunity to go back to the drawing board. Somebody's car's going off. I don't think it's mine. 
Oh dear. Oh, they stopped. Hopefully, no robberies. Um, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on the divine things, but on human things. Um, I want to. I want to hop out of Mark for just a moment. Out of Mark, I know, but I want to go to Philippians too because I think this is really important to what Jesus is saying there. And this is probably, not probably, this is my favorite passage in Scripture. Um, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. This is probably, um, does anybody else's Bible have 6 through 11, the verses offset from the rest of the text in a different way? Like, does it look kind of off-centered? Does yours do that? Yeah. Yeah. Is anybody else's? Yeah. What verses? 6 through 11. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Um, you know, do you know why that is? Like, why not just put it like the rest of the letter? It's because they think that Paul's quoting an early Christian hymn, a song that they sang in church. It's, it'd be kind of like if I was preaching and I said, um, what's a, uh, holy, holy, yeah, well, that's in scripture too. You quoted so tether, a, right? Uh, you quoted the, Oh, yes, yes, I did. Uh, last week, uh, uh, come thou fount. If I said, come thou fount of every blessing, bind my wandering heart to thee. I wouldn't have to explain. I'm referencing a hymn that we have sang today. You all would just be like, oh, yeah, oh, yes, right? Uh, and that language is already a language that's deep and personal for us. And so it's, it's like Paul's writing, and then he says, you know, and then he starts quoting a hymn that they sing early in the church, um, which I find really interesting, but... I'm going to read this passage. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but rather he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, I could spend forever talking about this passage. It's my favorite. And it's so important theologically about what it says about Jesus. For example, um, and gave him the name that is above every name. I don't think the name is Jesus because that was already his name. The name is Lord. Verse 11, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Which, of course, in your Old Testament, all capital, L-O-R-D, represents Yahweh. And so in Greek, it's the same, Kyrios, Lord. I think he's saying that every name should confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Yeah. And, and some people say, well, why doesn't it say, why doesn't the New Testament say very much? And there is a place where it does say it, multiple places. But uh, why doesn't the New Testament say as often that Jesus is God? Why doesn't it use the word God? It says Lord more. And I'm like, because Lord is more important. We're not identifying some abstract God. We're identifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a specific named God, the God who claims to be the God, Yahweh, um, which is even more important than just abstractly saying, well, Jesus is God. Because that could lead to the idea that, well, he's like a demigod. Because you know, like the Greeks have that idea. Yes, God with us. Uh, in Titus, he's explicitly called God. At the beginning of John, he's explicitly called God. But even more than saying Jesus is God, the early Christian confession was Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Meaning, not just some God, not a God, not a God alongside Yahweh, but he is Yahweh. Yahweh, he is Yahweh. Yeah. Is he? I know. I really want to see what he's doing. But let's get these on the back row. He knows what it is. What did he dig out of the bag? Oh. That kid. That kid. Just a side note. It's good. It's good. Um, but I bring up this passage in relation to Mark 8 because, verse 6, who though he was in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. I think it's because he was in the form of God that he emptied himself. And there's deeper arguments about why the word though could actually be because. And I have the asterisk in my Bible and off to the side could also be because. Because, uh, I think that's important, because he was in the form of God to not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. We serve a God who just inherently empties himself. It is a God-like thing to empty yourself of your own power. And in fact, we tend to think that power is power. But apparently power is not being the stronger and the mightier and the one that pushes them down. Apparently real power is extremely vulnerable and humble. Who, though he was in the form of God, the most powerful being in the universe, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself because he's God. Because he's the most powerful being in the universe. So maybe the cross isn't an exception to God's power. Maybe it's the most articulate expression of the power of God. Because Christ was... Yes, vulnerable and exploited, but also he was powerful as he dies on the cross. And so that to say, you have your mind set not on the things of God, but on human things. You're not thinking about this correctly, Peter. You've got this all backwards. You're thinking you're helping me be more powerful. You're actually not. Because if I go crush the Romans, that's actually, it's actually pretty weak of me. But if I die on the cross, the centurion's going to look at me and say, now that guy is God's son. Whew, now that's the Son of God. Uh, verse 34, he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Again, it's that backwards mentality. You really want to be powerful? Be weak. That's where the real power is. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God has come with power. Some people have taken that to mean, um, like you've heard the idea that Jesus returned in AD 70 and we just missed it, which is odd. But... Um, I think rather the kingdom of God comes in power at the cross. Um, that's the moment of definitive power of the kingdom of God. And it's from there that all the rest is defined. Um, there's an early Christian quote that the, blood, the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. Because the more that they killed the martyrs, the more the Christians grew. And they were just like, that's fine. You can kill me. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That prayer was on the tongues of many Christians as they're dying ruthlessly. The seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. Again, because it's that power dynamic inverted. Real power is defined at the cross, not accepted. And that was expressed in Star Wars. Was it Obi-Wan Kenobi that 
let himself be killed. Yes. His power would. Yes. Ah, thank you. No, love it. Thank you. I am a sci-fi nerd, so I really appreciate that. That's great. The more you squeeze, the further we'll Wait, say that again? You said something like the more you squeeze, the more we, we, we go out, we escape. Mm. You know, I was, I was thinking about this. Okay. I wonder what that did to Peter for him to be called Satan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would, for me, that would devastate yeah, that hurt my feelings a tad. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and maybe rightfully so. Maybe that's what he needed. Maybe that was the wake-up call he had. Maybe, because that's pretty brutal, what, what he said to him. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, whole, the whole point is there's a war going on, and Satan is the enemy. And then you're following this guy, and now he's telling you you're the enemy. You know? Yeah. You're more in line with the other side than you are with my side. Yeah. That's not a, that's not a slap on the wrist. Oh. That's, that's a serious wake-up. Yes. Maybe that's what they needed. Maybe that's, I mean, obviously he did it for a reason. Yeah. But, man, it made me cry. Yeah. Well, clearly it was impactful. It was remembered deeply. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it shaped Peter tremendously. And then, of course, he'll be the one who denies Jesus three times right. for the rooster crows. And then. And he, it says he looked at the other disciples and like yes kind of like i'm not just saying this to him i'm saying it to you too yes you know they were wanting to yeah let me be by your side peter's representative of the group yeah you know, yeah. You know missing the point of uh i want to be by your right hand yeah side when you're yes glory. you know that I don't think you do, though. Yeah. yeah. You don't really know what you're asking for. Yeah, James and John, let us be at your right and your left. And he's like, you have no clue what you're asking for. <laughs> That's already been appointed, but trust me, you don't want that because it's the other crosses. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I wish we still are. Yeah. We're an arrogant country. We're an arrogant people. No. <laughs> yeah. These other countries up there, and we think that we're so much better and so much smarter than mm. them. What makes us any different than what the Jews were back then? Mm. We are chosen people. We are. I think we are. Yeah. Yeah. And chosen, yeah. I was going to say this earlier. Like, I think that's part of the reason God's people tend to be on the wrong side of history on things or tend to miss, uh, miss a golden opportunity because we're like, well, we're special, we're chosen, we're God's people. And I'm like, yes, that's true, but that means you get to suffer all the more. <laughs> that means you all the more get to be on his right and his left and his glory, which is our own cross. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. And so, like, I'm wearing a cross this morning because this is my new favorite piece of jewelry. But um, I think we have to forget this is a torture instrument. <laughs> it was a brutal, brutal torture instrument. Yes. That is a perfect analogy. Yes, if I had like a like a 
like a poisonous needle yeah. around my neck. You'd be like, what are you wearing? Or if I had an electric chair, you'd be like, ah, like Susie's wearing a cross also. Like if she had some sort of brutal instrument of just like a, a, a rack, like, <laughs> like a, a brutal machine gun or something, or like, like a, a, a noose just hanging from her neck. We'd be like, what are you doing? This is weird. Yeah. It's, it's a brutal instrument of torture. The most brutal. Oh, they. The Persians started it and the Romans perfected it. <laughs> yes. So many of us were raised in the Church of Christ and we're told that, you know, we're the only ones. Mm hmm. We're the only ones going to heaven because we have it right. We were chosen. Yeah. That was hard to build relationships. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I uh, I told somebody this the other. I think I told David or maybe it was Hillary. I don't, I told somebody this the other day that to this day, whenever somebody's like, "What do you do?" I'm like, "Well, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm a minister. I'm a pastor." Oh, where do you where do you minister? But uh, Church of Christ. Oh. There's like a pause, and then I say, we're not one of those kind. And they're like, oh, great. <laughs> I have to clear. But I also love that because I actually, um, and this is a great time to talk about this, I actually think um, what we do, which is a little bit, quote, outside the box for the typical church Christ, is more true to the tradition that we were raised in than the other expressions that I tend to see. What, what tends to be thought of as like, oh, that's church of Christ, I don't think that's actually as true to the tradition as what we are doing is. Well, and a lot of the original decisions were made in search of unity. So they were trying to figure yes! out how can we unify <laughs> So we're just going to... Yes! If the, if the Bible didn't say do it, cut it out. You know, or, or like it was more like a... Words. It was more like a... Speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible is silent, that little mantra. It was less of a, let's scream in judgment at those who do something that we think the Bible doesn't talk as much about, right. Right. as much as it was a, we're going to be noncommittal on things that the Bible doesn't seem to be as right. yeah. detailed about. Right. I'm good with that stance, actually, in general. I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll major in the majors and yeah. minor in the minors, or just kind of let that be a matter of opinion, a realm the of opinion. The gathering thing is <sighs> John's statement of, calling us three expressions, one church, three expressions. And this has stuck with me ever since he yes. said that, because it's like, we can have different expressions. Yeah. It's okay, you know. Um, there's not, it's like, it's like little kids fighting over what mom said to do. And one says, no, she, she doesn't want to do, she wants us to do that, you know. And we're mm. mm. missing the whole point of yes. what mom said, you know. Yes. Um, and so, I, I don't, it, it just made such an impression on me that yes. to say, okay, three expressions, there's other, that's someone else's expression, yeah. and it's beautiful. I, maybe it's not for me, or maybe it's not what yeah. brings me close, but it's... The, uh, I know that we don't talk about the creeds much, the creeds right. of the church, um, but the creed confesses, uh, I believe in the one holy Catholic apostolic church. Catholic not meaning capital C Catholic, like, the Catholic Church, meaning Catholic Universal. The real scandal of that, from the beginning, well before the Protestant Reformation, the real scandal of confessing that we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church is, do you see all the churches out there? Yeah. You really confess that? Yeah, I confess that. One holy Catholic, yeah, I, I believe that. 
wholeheartedly. But like they're all at each other's throats. Yeah, I know. Isn't it terrible? Well, I still believe lucky. it. We're just lucky that we're the, the that real church. <laughs> yeah, we're lucky that we're well, we're but the we're the real church. church. That's right. Well, and to, there's a distinction made sometimes between the invisible versus the visible church. Yeah. What we see is not necessarily what is. We see all the backbiting and name calling and stupid debates over minute issues, but but what is is one holy Catholic apostolic church, the church, the the bride of Christ. I think Hillary said, "What is Jesus polygamous?" And and when he said that, I thought, who taught him to have that perspective? Because whoever did that, great job. Thank you. Because church hurt is real. We all know that. Church hurt is real. People who claim to be doing God's work can often do some really ugly and awful things. But also we believe in a higher ideal that that is the, the true reality behind all appearances to the contrary. All the more reason to come. (laughs) All the more reason to come. Okay, it's 1015. We're going to cut it. I'm going to pray a prayer from um, this prayer book that I really like. We'll end with that. So let's pray. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love the things you love and do what you would do. Breathe on me, breath of God. Until my heart is pure, until with you I have one will to live and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, my soul with grace refine, until this earthly part of me glows with your fire divine. Breathe on me, breath of God, so I shall never die, but live with you the perfect life in your eternity. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.